Good morning. How are we doing? I need to start this morning uh, with uh, giving a gift away. And uh, so will you do this for me? Will you welcome uh, Heather to the stage for a moment? My wife, Heather, today is 23 on the 23rd. And I, I, I waited. This may seem insignificant to you, but it means something to her. And so happy birthday. Love you. Um, I have a second gift for Heather today she doesn't know about, um, and I'm going to get into it with you in a moment. I want to do a little social experiment. Is it okay? Can we do that? Today's going to be a place uh, that, that I need us to really engage our minds completely, and so, so we're going to uh, do that. I was... I was uh, Turned on to an app this weekend or this week by a friend, and he said to me that uh, how many of you are using or seen the Moment app? You know, what I'm talking about the Moment app. Okay, so I didn't know it either, and I was turned on to it by a friend who said, you know, I wanted to be able to track my screen time. I wanted to be able to track how much time I'm giving to my phone, and and so he said, I I've found that I'm giving eight and nine hours to my phone daily. I, so I downloaded the Moment app, and I tracked myself for a day, and I had three and a half hours on my phone. I've developed a very intimate and close relationship with my phone. How many of you, like me, have this incredible angst when you cannot find your phone? You know what I'm talking about? So it, it like it, and it, it was flooring. And anyone who has developed the Moment app, my last name is Let, L-E-T-T. You can make the checkout to Justin Let for that endorsement. Here it is. Here's what I want us to do. Here's my, here's my experiment. I want you to take this out for me today. Can you do that? Take this out for me. And I want you to turn it off. Just, just for the next, uh, in the, through the end of the service, just turn it off. Some of you may not even know there's an off button on here. I promise you there is. And if you are uncertain as to how to find it, ask your neighbor. Uh, CNET and Time Magazine, as well as many others, have gone on to do some research. I found this week it fascinating that we check our phones, it says on average every 10 minutes. During the day, there are 1,440 minutes in a given day. We will check ours on average every 10. So that means almost 150 times a day we will check our phones. Do you know that? We have developed a, a really intimate and personal relationship with our phones so much that it causes angst when we do not have time with our phones. And, you know, a, a really smart theologian said it a long time ago. He said that we need to spell love, T-I-M-E, because whatever you give your time to is what you love. And how many of you recognize that it's a little scary that we are far more intimate with strangers at Apple and Google than we are with those that we are worshiping with within these walls. How many of you are afraid that we have given far more personal information and details about ourselves? How many of you heard, if you get a health scare, do not Google it, right? That'll ruin your life. Well, but here's the thing. We have a tendency to turn immediately to those, and we give those things that are deep and personal away to, to people that we don't even know, and yet... We won't share the most intimate of struggles with those that we are to be like-minded with, right? That we are to find common ground with in Jesus. 
We gave Apple and Google our fingerprints, for goodness sake. Hello? So today, the message is titled this, and it's really simple. Balance through unity. It's a simple title, but incredibly difficult to live. Too often I have conversations with believers who will say things like, I'm just confused. I'm uncertain as to what to do in this moment. Or in reference to church or religion, they'll say things like, there has to be more to it than this. And, and I agree. How many of you have said something to that effect yourself? I know I have. How many of us have said these things? The truth is these statements are un, they're not befitting of a believer. They're really not because we serve a God who said that he's not the author of confusion and he wants nothing more for us than to live the abundant life that was promised in Jesus. But yet we still find ourselves confused or uncertain or still living as if there's more out there. And the reality is I, I, I just believe. I just believe that the reason that is is because Many of us know precisely what God wants. Some of us are certain as to what he wants, but it is constantly met with the battle of our own agenda. How many of you have ever found yourself told by God to do something very intimate, uh, certain, and difficult, and it was met with the resistance inside you? I, I don't want to do that. Jesus said the greatest commandment when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered with two answers. He said, love the Lord your God with your entirety, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And he said, and love your neighbor as God intended. That same level. He gave an answer of balance. Though nearly impossible to accomplish, how are we supposed to really love God with all that we have, with like our, our entirety? But I... He's saying an answer of immersion, that I want you to be immersed in me. You know that the Bible does not speak of a quiet time, correct? God does not prescribe in here 20 minutes with him a day or less and, and pat on the back and move on. In fact, in John 15, it says that you abide in me, that you be immersed in me. And if you're not sure how to be immersed in something, check the time you're spending with your phone. Check the time you're spending isolating yourself from others. How many of you are used to seeing this? Whether with others or in your own life. How many of you are used to watching this? We are willing to... C.K. Louis C.K. said it like this. We are willing to take a life and ruin our own behind the wheel because we are so afraid of being alone. But yet we're the least connected we've ever been to people. We are dramatically connected to this device though. And so I'm going to wage war this morning a little bit on the phone. We just need to try to turn it off. Yesterday I had a deeply meaningful time with some of the men of our church as we, as we went into the city to pray for people who needed prayer and to provide something that might physically help and to pray for one another. And I learned, I learned so much from those men yesterday, and I was so excited to, and honored to be able to pray with them. How many of you have ever been deeply moved by just having a physical connection that you didn't expect? You walk out of a moment and you go, that was deeply meaningful. It like resets the soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? It like encourages you. You smile inside a little bit. Maybe, maybe even that smile comes outward. 
So I, I want to start uh, this morning by leading us to a passage. The, the passage that Kara just read happened, it says, Scripture reveals in Mark 6, over a period of 12 hours, that Jesus in Mark 6, after feeding the 5,000, some 20,000, because we didn't count women or children of that day, the people who he has just fed are ready to make him king and to overthrow political leading of the Romans. They're ready to overthrow. The disciples want answers as to how this happened. And, and Jesus does something. Instead of riding into the city on the, on the shoulders of the people and, and instead of high-fiving all his disciples... He sends the disciples, his closest friends, into a boat in the middle of the night and sends them out into a sea, a storm that will nearly take their lives, it says. And he sends the people away to go home. And he himself, for the next 12 hours, goes up on top of a mountain and he prays the words that we just read. In fact, he prays more than that, but we have nothing else recorded. For 12 hours, if you read John 17, we know the words that Jesus prayed before he would return off that mountain and come walking to his disciples on the water. Let me just read a couple of the, of the verses that he was reading that day. It says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Our first point is Jesus prays that we, his people, his future believers from this time, would be united with him in motive. You see, the Father and Jesus were equally committed, equally committed to the glory of God, equally committed to the unity of believers, and equally committed to the redemption of the lost. He prays this for us as well, that we would be equally committed to the glory of God, that we'd be equally committed to the unity of believers, and that we'd be equally committed to the redemption of the lost. You see, our lives were meant to worship. We were designed to do it, and we were designed to give honor to God. See, the glory of God happens because you and I exist. We were created in His image. So our sheer existence every day that we wake up gives Him glory. Martin Luther, the famous theologian, was known for taking walks in the park near his church often. And it says that people would pass by and they would hear him speaking to the birds. And he would often address them like this, Good morning, you great theologian. He goes, Far more do you understand who you are, whom God is, and your obedience to him than I or the people I walk through life with. See, we have this conscious choice to decide to honor God with our existence and to give him glory. The birds simply respond as the way they were created and they do so appropriately. We were created to give worship to the one who's really worthy of worship. But the thing that competes with our giving glory to God is our desire deeply to honor ourselves. You see, we worship every weekend. Not just here. Saturdays and Sundays included. We gather and pack college football and pro football stadiums all over the country. 
and we will wear our team colors and we will allow ourselves to emotionally be driven to places of joy. Or if you're a UT fan, places of anguish like last night. I tried. I, could, I couldn't help it. But we will allow ourselves to be driven by the talents of 18-year-olds who are created in the image of God. They're not our God. We will allow ourselves to be just ripped into rivalry when we see our child be treated unjustly by either a coach or a player or a ref in a sport that we paid hard-earned money for them to be a part of. We want to go fight for the rights of our child. We, we will stand up in opposition and, and become enraged <laughs> when, when the powers that be at work don't notice just how awesome we are. And they don't see all that we contributed to that very successful project. Whether it be in school or in work, we're the one contributing uh, the majority of the time and effort, but someone else gets all the credit. And inside, we feel ourselves enraged and we feel angst built up, much like, much like it is when we can't find our keys or our phone. We're naturally about making a name great, and namely our own. This is why we find ourselves confused. This is why we find ourselves going, I just don't know what to do. Because, see, we were created and we were bought with a price in Jesus' blood to make his name great and to make his name resound through all of, all of our communities to all ends of the earth. But, but see, when we, when we are asked by Jesus to, to die to self, it's met with the resistance of this encasing, this flesh. It's very difficult. Jesus said, in my kingdom, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. But in our kingdom, in this earthly kingdom, first is first. Right? You understand? First is first. And not, but we, we miss this tendency. And so, like, this is why we find this community, this confusion. We have this ultimate end. My team plays on Saturdays. My favorite team. It is my right to fight for my child. It is my right to be recognized for my contribution at work. There's a whole lot of my in there. And the thing that we, we allow the will and the power and the direction and the kingdom of God to come against is our own agendas. And we somehow, we somehow allow ourselves to make that our ultimate end, unbefitting of anyone who claims the name of Jesus. Amen? He is our ultimate end. So we have to be willing to allow ourselves to do exactly what Jesus said to his disciples, and that is daily take up our cross, meaning, meaning, I want to explain this, in their day the cross was like our electric chair or our gas chamber. Allow your flesh to die such a horrendous death that you would not consider going back to it. Put it to death in such a way that you willingly leave that in any agenda, any hope, any desire for glory or honor, and you would just trust me implicitly, come after me and follow to wherever I may lead and in any way that I want. Here's why, because I'm God and you're not. 
And see, this is the difficulty. How many of you would say in earnest, it is incredibly difficult to trust God? Hands raised, nice and high. How many of you would say it is incredibly difficult to trust God implicitly? Amen. And so herein lies some of our distinction. It's so difficult to trust God with my personal life. It's so difficult to take my eyes away from my personal phone. Places where the enemy literally segregates us, isolates us, sets us apart. And Jesus is praying that we would be in him, that we would know him, that our motive would be to abide in him in such a way that glory to God comes forth from our cognizant desire to honor him with our lives. And that we'd be so united to other believers that when the world would turn and look at the church, they would see hope of his name. Hope for what is ailing them, that which is broken. But how many of you realize that we're known far more for what divides us than what unites us? How many of you recognize that on a really thousand foot view, we're segregated by culture, by skin color, by type, on a more minuscule scale. The church. How many of us recognize that we are divided into camps based on belief or theology or the way that we approach God? Some are Calvinists, some are Arminians, some are Reformed, some are Wesleyan. Do you understand? How many of you realize there are over 70 different types of Baptists alone? Alone. So people say, I'll say, what's your religion? I say, Baptist. I'm like, what? Which one? Not sure. Is that a theology? I think so. What? Listen, how many of you, it sickens you inside to be without your phone, but you find that you're okay or indifferent when the world around you finds you disunified with the rest of the church of Jesus around you? How, how many of you know it's incredibly difficult for autonomous churches to work together who may be of the same denominational strand? How many of us find it difficult for departments within one church to work together? How many of you don't even like you that much? <laughs> we are more known for what divides us, unfortunately, because we're allowing the enemy to wreak havoc with us and lying to us and telling us we have a right to fight for ourselves, denying the fact that he already fought for us. And he's never stopped fighting for us. That we can trust ourselves to him. And it gives us an ability to do exactly what he asked us to. And exactly what Paul said. And that is esteem others' needs as better than our own. You don't have to fight for you. You're called to fight for everyone around you. Because Jesus fought for you. And has never stopped. This, this reality... It gives honor that is due to God, unites his believers, and it gives hope to the lost. The redemption of the sinner. John 17, 1 through 3 says, As Jesus spoke these things, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh so that you may 
give eternal life to everyone that you've given him. This is eternal life, that they would know you. The only true God, the one you've sent in Jesus Christ. How many of you are grateful to know Jesus? How many of you, your heart breaks for those in your life who have been entrusted to you who do not? How many of us are too busy in this position? To even notice those whom God has entrusted to us so they continue to live a broken life and a broken world without, without hope because the world around them that encompasses believers in their lives are not engaged in honoring God with their existence, not engaged in unifying with one another because what they hear from the church is talking poorly of other believers more than they do lifting up other believers. Hello? Not you, your friends. And because we love them so much, because God has given us eyes to see them the way that he does, and he does not want them to be separate of him. In fact, he created them in his image so that they could be known family of God just as much as we can. But it is our responsibility to live as if we love like that. We love him. And that's my second point. That Jesus prays that we'd be united with him in mission. That Jesus and the Father were known by their love for one another. They were known for the truth and for the imputed righteousness of Jesus. He prays that the world would know us by our love for one another. Our love for the truth and our love for the imputed righteousness of Jesus. How well do we minister to one another? I want you to think about it. Who here, I know I'm going to admit this to you, I am one. Who here has some really deep and difficult things going on in their life right now? Just hands raised. Just hands raised. More More than just me. I need a church that can minister to me. Can I, can I say, is that okay to say out loud? I need a church that can carry my burdens because it's too difficult in a broken world to carry them by myself. The Lord fights for me, but I need a church that thinks about, thinks about others more than they do themselves so that they will come alongside and fight for me so that I can return fight for them. Hello? And so, loving one another as well is necessary within our churches How many of us would just admit we haven't loved each other well? Maybe we've not loved each other the way that he's asked us to because we are asked to sharpen one another. We're asked to sharpen one another as iron. And that means we must encourage, we must empathize, we must challenge, and we must simultaneously correct. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that a man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In fact, James said, a man who looks into the Word of God and does nothing, doesn't allow it to change him, doesn't allow it to wreck him, doesn't allow the imputed righteousness of Jesus to change him, is like a man who looks in the mirror, sees his appearance, and does nothing about it. Today, um, 
how many of you have ever seen a, a shepherd with his sheep? You know how they lead? How many of you have ever watched that? How many of you have ever noticed that when a shepherd is leading, they kind of walk out in front of the sheep a little bit at times? They, they don't get so far the sheep can't see them, but they give them just enough distance so the sheep know where to follow. And then they won't stay there. They'll drift back a little bit and they'll walk in the middle of their sheep. Why? Just to give assurance that they are there amongst their sheep. And if the sheep stumble, if they fall, they'll be there to pick them up, to bandage them, to encourage them, to just give that loving side hug that we are famous for in the church. (laughs) They'll drift back to make sure that the church or the sheep do not stray and they, they use their crook to make sure that even though they have a tendency to want to go south, west, or east, that we are headed north together and so they will just correct them to keep them going. And the first person you'll see riding around the sheep to protect them from any, any predator, anyone who looks at the sheep as prey, will get out to defend them. Do you defend your brother and sister? Or do you allow them to slaughter? To have, let the enemy have his way with them. To wreak havoc within their life to where they almost feel as if they have no hope. Do we defend our brother? Do we correct our brother, sister? Do we walk amongst them and lovingly earn the right to because they know they can count on us no matter what happens because we're unified in them and unified in an effort to please Jesus We'll get out in front a little bit because some, some of us, some here, have a little more gray hair or a little less hair. And they're a couple steps ahead in life or in spirituality with Jesus and they have a lot to invest in those of us who are younger. Amen? He asked that we would love the truth. Matthew 5, 6 says... Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those who look at the world of lies around them and say, no more. I will not allow myself or my friends to be, to be suspect or tripped up by things that just are not true. They don't embody who Jesus is. There, there's nothing about this that my God teaches to. This is the opposite of that. This is from darkness. This is the thing that the messages that the, the world are throwing at them all the time. And so they have to learn and I'm going to help them because my brother or sister is drowning in lies. I need to come alongside and fight with them, alongside them, for them, for the glory of God. Hello, Amen. Lift their arms as Moses had his arms lifted by Aaron and Hur. When they noticed the battle depended on the anointed having his arms raised. God was doing something through his vessel. And his brothers came alongside to make sure that what God was doing continued. In John 15 it says, verses 3 through 5, You've already been made clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I need you to hear that again. You've already been made clean by the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch can produce fruit, cannot produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you abide or remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. How many of you are grateful, I'm going to say this, that you could not save yourself? How many of you are grateful that 
the plan to redeem the world. Salvation had to come through God himself, and that's why Jesus came. You could not save yourself. So if you are grateful for that, then I also want to ask how many of you are grateful that you could never earn his love or you could never earn better standing with him by what you do? There is not a proverbial check of balances like check this box and don't do this that makes you in righter standing with God. Hello? It is the blood of Jesus. And I have to ask, how many of you recognize in your life that those scriptures teach that when the world looks at his church individually or corporately, they should mostly see Jesus. A people covered by his blood, washed white as snow. When people see you, do they mostly just see Jesus? Because see, we're going to enter into a, a series next week that Scott was alluding to. And that series is called Practice, where we're going to look at how to properly Walk through, I know this doesn't sound super exciting, but trust me, it'll be life-changing spiritual discipline. And quite honestly, the reason is because you've probably heard in your life that practice makes perfect. That's only if you practice perfectly. In fact, my same friend who pointed me to a moment this week, he said this. He's a physical trainer. It says that if you've ever lifted weights and you've done up to 300 reps... That in order to correct what you've done wrong in those 300 reps, if you've ever lifted and lifted wrongly, you've practiced wrongly, it's so permanent that you're going to have to do it 6,000 times in the right fashion just to correct what you've trained your mind and body to do. It is so far easier for someone to learn it right the first time than to retrain their minds. Because practice makes permanent, and we've formed as the church a lot of bad habits. Hello? How many of you would just admit by show of hands you're far more intimate with your phone than you are with Jesus? That's a bad habit. I have it. I don't want it. Hello? I don't want to continue to play and to continue to come in and worship with a church that I know is gathered under the work of Jesus and in his name. But I want, brothers and sisters, who will lift my arm to say, Justin, how's your time with Jesus? Are you abiding? Because I see you abide in your phone. I see the blue reflection come off your face. Hello? I see... What God did in you, and you are clean because of His work, not your own. There is no earning it. We are to live for His name and not our own. Justin, let me remind you that we're to be united in and of ourselves to Jesus' motive and Jesus' mission alone. We live for and with Him, and we experience the abundant life that was promised in Jesus. But apart from that, we don't. And how many of you recognize that the lack of abundance that we feel comes out like this? I'm just confused. I'm not sure what I'm to do in this moment. Or there's got to be more to it than this. How many of you recognize the lack of abundant life is because we've not trusted implicitly and cultivated that relationship at such an intimate level that we spend time In fact, during this sermon, if averages are true, we all would have had a tendency to check our phone at least three to four times 
and I ask you to turn it off. That's just 30 minutes. How much of our life is engaged with Jesus to where we can't go without checking our phone? Like, we can't go without asking Him about our day or how to navigate the next 10 minutes because every 10 minutes we want to pick Him up. We want to meditate on that which He's taught us. We want to sit in His steps. We want to sit in His leading. We want to sit in His love so that we can be a reflection to the world that God has asked us to be. We exercise discipline and and practical steps so that we abide. Because we can't do anything on our own. Today I have some steps for you. Is that okay? This week I have a challenge for you. Is that all right? It starts here. It starts right now. It starts in our response. Because if we can't respond to Jesus in this moment, there should be a lot of movement in the next few minutes. But if we can't respond to Jesus in these moments, then how will we be able to respond to Jesus in our offices or in our home, in our workplace or school. If, if we don't respond to Jesus in a place where we celebrate the name of Jesus and we lift that up, then how can we do it out there? So this time is practice, okay? We want to practice rightly. Hello? Is God worthy of your obedience? Then let's be obedient. Because we'll enter a series next week on practice. Here's what you're going to do to get ready for that series. You have to prepare yourself. I need to prepare myself. This week, we're going to read John 17. I'm not giving any other assignment. Just read John 17 and meditate on the words. Meditate on the things that Jesus prayed in that chapter for 12 hours alone with the Father. Between miracles. Pray and meditate on that this week. Ask yourself, in every decision this week, try to pick up Jesus as often as you pick up your phone. What's my motive in this? What is my motive today? And when people see me, do they mostly, do they mostly see Jesus? Or do they simply see this? This week... I want to ask us to find ourselves repenting at this altar, lifting our names only as far as maybe the top of the stage, but on our knees and on our faces before God, asking His name be lifted in our lives beyond this rooftop where the rain we can hear. Today, maybe, maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're here and you need prayer, and so I want to tell you that I'm available. There are going to be prayer partners available here. There are so many others available. Just say to your neighbor, I need prayer. Brothers and sisters, we are you to, to find balance through our unity, and we must unite to his motive, mission, and to one another. Maybe today you find yourself here and you go, I don't even know this Jesus. I, Scott, there are people here who would love to talk to you about this because I was a person drowning in a world of lies and deceit and hurt, and he changed that in an instant. It wasn't about what I did. It was about what he did. And today, maybe we find ourselves coming to his table to re-enlist. What do I mean by that? Before Jesus left to ascend to the Father, he said, you'll be my martyrs. You'll be my witnesses, those who would die for this. Because I died so that you could live, you must be willing to give your life. So when we come and remember the body that was broken, the blood was shed, and his imputed righteousness was put on us because of the work that he did, 
we engage from this point through the rest of our day and through this week that we are his reflection to the world of hope. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. And Father, I'm going to ask you to come and move. There should be a lot of movement in the next few moments as worship unto him. So I'm going to ask you to come on. Father, receive our responses as worship in you and you alone and in Jesus' name. As Aaron and Kara come and they sing over us, God, I'm okay with us sitting in silence. I'm okay with us meditating on what you have for us. I'm okay with us not singing as we think and meditate on what you desire for us. But God, as you tell us how to respond, may you find a people obedient to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.